hello this is editor renaissance hopping in real quick before we start off the episode and most importantly i want to say hello to all the butches and femmes the single ones and also listeners of the pod I'm here to tell you that the Lavender Menace is hosting a lesbian matchmaking form on our Patreon right now. That is on our Patreon. And real talk, we're in a butch recession bad. Butch femmes, please fill out the form. And when you fill out the form, Sunny and I will go over the submissions and pair you with people we think you would match with. The form is specifically written for our listeners, and we have already had so much fun going over the submissions. Once again, the form is on our Patreon, and we can't wait to see y'all there. Bye, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Lavender Menace podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Renaissance Marie. We are here with another IRL episode. Everyone cheered. It's on our Renaissance World Tour era. Yeah. We are on the East Coast for the yeah. first time. Our previous East Coast tour dates have been, literally, have been mm-hmm. our Midwestern era, mm-hmm. St. Louis. But we're ending 2022, which is crazy, Yeah. in Massachusetts, the, the Northeast. Northeast. Yeah. Everyone. It's been an interesting anthropological experience for you. Yeah. And much more intense than St. Louis. For sure. But that's because St. Louis is just a chill place. That's why I need it. Mm-hmm. Love her. Anyway, I'm Sunny. Sunny from St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's sunny in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Anyways, the thing is, is that today we have an episode for you that will cover some of y'all. This is going to be a pretty standard episode. Yeah. Y'all's hot takes, a media review, and recommendations. And hopefully we'll be done recording this in around 90 minutes because also if you're watching this on Patreon, then you have the video, the full video recording. Mm-hmm. And also my camera battery is going to die if we record for longer than that. So we're going to need this to not be a three-hour episode yeah the way that we've we've run we've run we've been running those numbers up for a while like, we have we released like three episodes this year and people's listen times was 2,000 minutes <laughs> on four episodes <laughs> when I saw those listen numbers I was like interesting wow that's a lot of time to spend listening to us that's... yeah no our end of the year wrap-up yeah episode that's incoming you'll be you'll be hearing that and you know we got it's a little our, scary. Yeah. We did post our Spotify wrapped data on Instagram and Twitter, so you should follow us there if you have profiles there, you know, mm-hmm. if you're online the way we are, obviously. Derogatory. Literally, otherwise, how would we make content? Like, guys, it's for you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> this, literally. You guys are for us because it's yeah. necessary. Who else are we going to talk to? Like, like we need an audience. Need and we love this. you guys so much. Like, it's so necessary. It's Please. a codependent relationship. It is. It, in multiple layers. <laughs> in multiple layers, there's a codependent relationship happening. So... It's like, it's okay, we all ha-ha-hee-hee together. <laughs> We're all liking each other's tweets together and ha-ha-hee-heeing into the sunset together. It's beautiful. Okay, and on that note, do you want to read um, an email from a listener? Yes. This hot take is from Alicia, and it says, Hi, Sunny and Renaissance. My name is Alicia. And I'm a huge fan of the pod. I listen to it every day at work. (laughs) Praxis. Praxis. So I've recently been reading a lot of Bell Hooks. I'm not sure if you've talked about her already, but her books are incredible. She most notably writes about race, feminism, and class. And I just started reading her book, The Will to Change, Men, Masculinity, and Love. There is a really interesting section I'd love to hear your thoughts on. Hook writes, quote, 
It is a fiction of false feminism that we women can find our power in a world without men, in a world where we deny our connections to men. We claim our power fully only when we can speak the truth, that we need men in our lives, that men are in our lives whether we want them to be or not, that we need men to challenge patriarchy, that we need men to change. End quote. You've talked a lot on the pod about decentering men from our lives, parentheses, which I completely agree with, but struggle to do as someone who is attracted to men. I'm, re- I'm really interested in hearing your thoughts from the perspective of being a lesbian and not really engaging with men that much in your daily lives. I think you'd really love Hook's work, just the same as I love your podcast. Sending you guys love. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. That's sweet. Yeah, no, I have read this book. Mm-hmm. It was a few years ago at this point. And I've also read other of Bell Hook's writing. I have read her book, Ain't I a Woman, which I think is a seminal black feminist text because it is. It, I think, is on par with and similar to the things that, like, Angela Davis is talking about in, like, Women, Race, and Class, you know? Like, or even what the Combe Hebrew Collective is, was, like, saying and writing. Because this is all in sort of the later decades of the 20th century in terms of the feminist movement and so yeah I've read that book she also has a very interest and also her importance of theory mm-hmm. essay that you've read mm-hmm. I've read parts of mm-hmm. I've also read parts of her essay the oppositional gaze which is another which is like a film theory concept that she sort of delineates which obviously it's sort of about like which sort of extends upon or counters the idea of the female gaze by integrating the theory of Du Bois's double consciousness into the logic of the female gaze and how black women sort of have to take on like an oppositional gaze in in reading like in in looking at film um which is really interesting I haven't like revisited that any of these texts in like a while to be honest oftentimes it's like when i'm trying to speak on authority like speak about a text with authority i don't want to speak too confidently about it unless i have pretty recently consumed it because i obviously like because obviously it's like i don't even remember as i get further away from having actually engaged with the text itself it's like i don't have as much of a remembrance of how I felt about it at the time or even the text itself but I do think that Bell Hooks sort of because she is first and foremost like a black feminist I think before she is like a Marxist or anything it it definitely shows in her writing and it definitely shows in what she says and that's not necessarily like a bad thing it's just something to keep in mind in engaging with like her work and her work is also very like necessary and interesting especially during like as contributions to the feminist movement and to feminist thought and consciousness and sort of challenging the whiteness of feminism especially at this time like she was really instrumental in that i do think that there are passages and there are sections in the will to change that are more valuable than others or that feel more relevant than others But I do think that a lot of what she says is sort of, it's like, it's all worth sort of taking into account, but I don't know. I think people like to take quotes or remove individual statements or the iconography of people from the text itself or from the history 
of that movement or that like political line of thinking to further any particular agenda you know because I think I remember being like I was talking about like manhood and engaging with men in a way that is like denigrating to like at the expense of women and queer people obviously people and I'm sort of elaborating on that within you know discussing how gender operates under patriarchy and how it plays out in interpersonal relationships and like of course how men interact with us etc and people would sort of occasionally like I think this happened like once or twice people would bring up like bell hooks's like this text or whatever and I'd be like I have read that book like Mm -hmm. I know what you're talking about and I also know what I'm talking about okay Mm -hmm. and I don't think these things are diametrically opposed because like what she is saying I think is also kind of a response to some of the lesbian feminist lesbian separatist or feminist separatist movements and like bioessentialist sort of lines of rhetoric and thinking that were sort of popular or had been popular in feminist thinking in like the U.S. around this time. So I think it's sort of in response to that as well as well as a lot of it is her reflecting on her own experiences growing up in sort of a violent and abusive household and you know stuff like that but I don't know what do you think? Yeah I think the that quote I haven't read this particular quote but I have read um her essay, The Importance of Theory. And so I think in this quote, at least in my understanding of feminism at the time, I agree with the points that you're making towards the end there, of like, in response to the lesbian separatist ideas that were trending or gaining popularity at the time, or sentiments that were, and same with feminism, I think that the quote is important in terms of not positioning feminism as like woman patriarchy in a way to not Mm -hmm. see that as the answer to gendered violence but the abolition of gender even though that's not what she's talking about here I think like understanding gender as an identity and being like you can't get rid of all men in this way because like the identity of manhood as long as there's gender will probably persist but that doesn't mean that men are going to be who they are under patriarchy and what's expected of them. That can be abolished and that can be done away with, is how I would approach more interpreting that quote. Or if someone asked me, be like, oh, aren't you a lesbian Marxist? Oh, you say that we should decenter men? Well, well, what about this quote? And it's like, I don't think that that is necessarily diametrically opposed to decentering men in your life. In the same way that women are not the center of men's lives, but men still have relationships with women that passage at least specifically isn't um exclusive to our politics of decentering men no exactly and and that's the thing i think it's like when she says that like men are in our lives mm-hmm. it's like it, it's true you cannot go outside mm-hmm. <laughs> really and not interact with a man like you unfortunately yeah or not unfortunately is... i guess is the point it's it's like, what's unfortunate is patriarchy right exactly what's unfortunate is like violence against women and how mm-hmm. all men by nature of being men are a socialized and conditioned into it rather than genetically coded into that position because that itself is like a sexist idea and then b all men benefit from the oppression of women mm-hmm. like and she's saying i think here and also one of the 
theses of this book is like, okay, well, if the crux of the issue is men's violence, you have to address like men. Mm-hmm. You know, like you have to think about the will to change. You have to think about like what, like, you know, men, masculinity, and I forgot the last tagline of the subtitle. Love. Yeah, men, masculinity, and love, right? I think this is honest, it's honestly quite relevant to a lot of the discussions going on around like incel culture and things like that, right? Where it's the feminist response in some ways to the idea that men are violent or abusive because they don't receive enough love. <laughs> and it's the idea that like, men are raised in the same patriarchal violent society that we are raised in and they replicate it and recreate it and they also benefit from it and of course they are hurt by it Mm -hmm. we're all hurt by it and but like they benefit from it in a real way that is at our expense like women and other gender minorities and like it's i think like a lot of what she has to say is very poignant and rings true but i i think no text should go uninterrogated or be taken at face value or taken out of like a historical context or you know stuff like that this kind of speaks to the greater greater conversations that have been cropping up i think more recently and what we talk about and how we analyze work is the onus on the reader to be able to understand Mm-hmm. And I think, intentions yeah and, intentions and how you're internalizing the text and how yeah. you're interpreting it So if one's understanding of of decentering men or feminism or gender abolition or all of that is insecure or unwilling to, or not unwilling, but just not at the point to fully be able to use it as an independent lens to approach another text, I think that understanding Bell Hook's perspective is gonna be it's not gonna be contribute to your yeah. feminist understanding yeah in a way that people want it to because you're not really taking in what her politics really is you're taking yeah. a piece of it to weaponize against someone you don't like which i think mm-hmm. people will do quite often you know um to be like oh you're wrong for saying decentering men because look at bell hooks and she said this when it's really it's like if you had a greater understanding of what you were reading, you'd be able to understand that this text isn't exclusive to the politics that we hold. And I think that that is more of a response to people who use this as a weapon against feminists rather than lesbians and feminists to have that understanding of the text. It's really all that I'd have to say because I haven't read this particular work, so I'm just responding to that excerpt and also just my understanding of like her as a figure and also the decade of feminism um, that she's writing in. Okay, okay, okay. This is, this is the quote. I finally found it. Sometimes I love the internet because <laughs> then you find free PDFs uploaded on WordPress on like a random ass site Real. that finds that. So Bell Hooks pulls this quote from someone named Kimmel. Okay, well, this is what Bell Hooks say. This is on page 83, at least in, in this like edition that mm-hmm. is online. Patriarchal men can do pornography anywhere all day long. They can watch movies, look at magazines, look at real females with a pornographic gaze, undress them, fuck them, dominate them. Kimmel contends that male consumption of pornography is fed by the sexual lust males are taught to feel all the time, and their rage that this lust cannot be satisfied. Quote, Pornography can sexualize that rage, and it can make sex look like revenge. Everywhere, men are in power, controlling virtually all the economic, political, and social institutions of society. Yet, individual men do not feel powerful. Far from it. 
Most men feel powerless and are often angry at women, whom they perceive as having sexual power over them, the power to arouse them and to give or withhold sex. This fuels both sexual fantasies and the desire for revenge." End quote. Bell Hooks continues, Many men are angry at women, but more profoundly, women are the targets for displaced male rage at the failure of patriarchy to make good on its promise of fulfillment, especially endless sexual fulfillment. So that is such a poignant quote to me, mm-hmm. and obviously to other people, because someone screenshotted, like, reading that, mm-hmm. or like, took a picture of that bit of that book and posted it and was like, this is so real. Mm-hmm. And, like, it is, right? Like, that so aptly describes how pornography and how male violence operates in people's day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. But that obviously coexists with that quote. But they have to coexist. Yeah. That's why it's a whole book. Mm-hmm. That's why she's talking about this within the context of love, relationships, mm-hmm. family, abuse. Like She's talking about this within a really complicated set of realities because we live in a complicated world. One, of course, dominated by also complicated power structures like patriarchy. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate this email because... Like, they're also asking, this person's also asking us, like, well, what does it mean to decenter men in, like, a in like a meaningful way, especially considering this type of stuff? And I think yeah. it's, like, that is a really fair question that I don't yeah. think is actually asked in good faith quite often. <laughs> Asterisks. Like, literally. In good faith. Literally. Because I think, like, in a lot... I've been reading a lot of, like, lesbian history in the U.S. from... Hmm, from like the 40s and 50s till around the 90s and it seems like I mean this is again a generalization and like do your own readings etc but it seems like there seemed to be with the rise of the women's movement in the 70s an almost divide or an imposition onto the lesbian community that desexualized lesbianism for the sake of feminism mm-hmm. right so no longer was lesbianism necessarily a sexual act or like a sec of things like because a lot of the lesbian feminists really rejected like butch femme roles for example which is historically rooted in a lot of working class dynamics and also very historically rooted and presently rooted in sexual dynamics Mm -hmm. it's about sexual roles like primarily right that's why i think it's and it's, it's sexual roles in like a subversive way to patriarchy because it doesn't sort of naturalize um, women's submission to men, it's sort of a construction within itself. And that was something that I think a lot of feminists found really difficult to deal with because they didn't necessarily have the language or capacity at that time or didn't have the perspective that necessarily we have now with like trans politics being what it is now to understand the differentiation in gendered and sexual politics and how these things can intersect, which is why a lot of the bar bar lesbians from the mid 20th century kind of had beef or like were kind of very mm, hesitant mm-hmm. about women's organizations and the rising tide of like lesbian feminism because so much of it seemed to denigrate their lived sexual reality as lesbians and i think like the legacy of that totally lives on today we see that so often and 
and in such an interesting way, it's not a clear delineation the same, the same way that even my recap of this history isn't a clear delineation either, but this is all to say that I think that what Bell Hooks is ultimately getting at here is like there there is I think there's a lot of it seems this like almost lesbian feminist separatist rhetoric or or feminist separatist rhetoric that in its rhetoric by being by saying that essentially women could run society better than men in some ways like sort of naturalized male power um and in trying to completely disengage with the politics of the real world in creating their separatist like communes or organizations and stuff that didn't necessarily engage with the reality the lived realities of people the lived realities of women it kind of then like went over people's heads in some ways or it wasn't it didn't see it wasn't like a feasible thing in people's mm. lives which again is another reason why i find i'm i really appreciate this email because it's like people are curious to know like what does it even mean to like how do i apply these politics in, in your in in one's life and i think like that access axis of identity and also a politics of identity the the taking on of a, a politic as a key element of your morals, values, and how you view yourself as a person, how you interact with the world, with like how you interact with the world and how you interact with other people, that's a bridge that is really, it's, it's like a personal journey and it's like really difficult to, to give you a step-by-step -step yeah. sort of like guide to. Yeah. You definitely, it's like stuff that you really have to work out on your, on an individual basis, which is why I think it's really good that you're reading this book because like Hooks really gets into a lot of different examples of her relationships with men in her life, whether that be previous male partners, like her father, people in her community, and how she observed like male violence and that on that end. I think that like for me, it's, it's like I, I definitely have like male friends and I always have and I think like a lot of I think a lot like sex segregation is itself something that was a huge issue for early especially like early 20th century feminists was like and also all across like the 19th century and stuff as well right people a lot of feminists were arguing like, Karl Marx's daughter was writing about the fact that it is fucked up that you guys are sending girls and boys to different schools to teach them different things to naturalize their roles in the world as different when that's not that's not good, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that was one of the... That was a really key issue. That's also why, like, women's education and allowing women to get into educational spaces was also such a major fight and uphill battle that gave us affirmative action in like mm -hmm. the 60s and 70s like it was about like women's entrance into like a male world and now that women sort of do exist in this male world but it's still fundamentally a male world like a lot we're all contending with this reality right mm -hmm. and I think like on an interpersonal level me and my friends have had to deal with this because even with like our like queer male friends or like our our friends who are men and happen to be like trans or you know gay or whatever it like that none of those identities or anything and neither do our identities as lesbians or as women etc etc sort of negate our ability to 
support, uphold, or um, be re replicate patriarchy or other like insidious systems in our own lives. But it's like having that awareness and thinking about how you can work through that within your own relationships and being like observant of it. I think awareness of it is sort of the first step. Like self-awareness is so key to feminism. <laughs> self-awareness is. is so important to feminism. Like it really is because And let me tell you, I've been seeing I've been seeing the consequences of what feminism without self-awareness looks like. And that's how we get that's how we get Madeleine Albright and that's how we get Hillary Clinton and that's how we get 9/11. Is feminism without self-awareness? Let me tell you, we literally get international terrorism with feminism without self-awareness. Like, that's how high the stakes are. So thank God you're reading this. And thank you for this email. Because this is how we stop 9-11. <laughs> I think, so, interrogating desires, you know, yeah. we sort of, we've talked about more about this in, like, other stuff, right? Like, I, like, I brought this up to you the other day, but one of my friends mm -hmm. posted being, like, she's bisexual, and she... Mm -hmm. Like, fucks men and women, guys. Bisexuality. Um, it's real. <laughs> it is real. Mm -hmm. We I see it every day. And, like... Unfortunately. Oh, yes. <laughs> we, got, we got a message from a listener being like, I love you. I know, that was... I was biphobic. Like... And I was like, I don't know if you were here for season one, two, and three of this. Yeah. Because we have long-standing beef. And, like, if you, if you were there for it, you would know why. Yeah. We seem less harsh when you have seen the comments that we have faced. And That's like, what I'm saying. By the hundreds. Like, exactly. Like, she was saying, like, yeah, I definitely know that I'm going to end up marrying, like, a man someday. Mm -hmm. And, like, I think that's a fair understanding of yourself. In fact, it's, like, necessary for some people to come yeah. to this conclusion. Yeah. Because on the equivalent side, I, pl I know plenty of, like, bisexual, like, women or bisexual people who are, who are definitely going to end up with someone in like a same gender relationship mm -hmm. they're gonna end up in a same-sex relationship long term or they are in one currently mm -hmm. and that's the most significant part of their identity and they've sort of or like of their relationship and that is accepted as the truth and they know this that doesn't negate their identity whatsoever it's mm -hmm. still true that you acknowledge the the desires that make up who you are as a person but that also means that when you acknowledge your desires of who that of like what makes you who you are you also that's that is itself self-awareness and that itself that is itself what is necessary within a feminist consciousness and a, a feminist way of existing in the world because otherwise like you're kind of clawing in the dark like you and also in just how people engage with men at least like from on an anecdotal level and the way that we have experienced this mm -hmm. like something that we've noticed like from from the hashtag lesbian perspective i think that something that we've talked about before just like in our own time etc it's like how as children and oh also like this is a continual thing throughout lesbian history and lesbian documentation is this phenomena of lesbians and women who you know are around are amongst communities of women mm -hmm. but then the women that they're around end up as they grow up or you know as they start engaging with the world become you know engage like get a boyfriend or get a partner and then men and the relationships they have with men start taking over their lives and taking dominance over their previous relationships with like women who don't really do that so mm -hmm. primarily like lesbians so then lesbians feel like well now i'm fundamentally not a part of this dynamic or friendship or community in, in a really integral way anymore because i 
I, I can't engage with this in the same way that you do. Like, I, fundamentally, it's not a part of who I am. And it's also not a part of how I live my life. It's it's very, it's similar to, like, you know, how when people talk about, oh, all my friends are getting married and I'm the single one and, like, I can't hang out with them because it's yes. awkward because I'm the... It's kind of yes. like that. It literally is like that. It, it, but, but all the time. But all the time when you're the only one who's, like, not when fucking men. <laughs> you know for sure, regardless, like, whether or not you're a bisexual who knows most likely you're going to end up with a woman or you're a lesbian mm-hmm. who's like... In a lesbian relationship. In a lesbian like, relationship, regardless of who you are. That having that understanding automatically puts you on the outside of so many relationships with women mm-hmm. who will end up with men, reg- bisexual or heterosexual, mm-hmm. that is like all the time and... That's what makes the lesbian experience so isolating, right? Yeah. And that's something that a lot of and lesbians And that's why lesbians want to be friends with other lesbians. Yeah. And, and want it's to really necessary. other lesbians. Yeah. Because being on the outside of that perspective in intimate relationships is exhausting on mm-hmm. top of already being outside of that world re- world perspective all of the time mm-hmm. in any given thing. Mm-hmm. Like, any given capacity, you're always in that in like that's the your position you're in and then mm-hmm. now in your like meaningful relationships you also have to face that and you have yeah like, like i think that's something that and also straight just, people and straight women are just not really conscious of and bi women aren't really mm-hmm. necessarily conscious of either mm-hmm. because what they're more conscious of bi women especially who are sort of attuned to queer politics on some level are more conscious to the way that they feel and their insecurities about their identities and their relationships mm-hmm. more so than this is the sort of nuanced point and crux of the issue which is like they're more concerned with that than the fact that like we as lesbians feel an isolation that we shouldn't be feeling around people who we supposedly share an aspect of identity and community with because the people who claim to be in community with us and claim to be in solidarity with us within their identity and want to be a part of this what they perceive as like a cool kids club like (laughs) is they're a part of the problem, which is how isolated we feel. And they never really have to confront that within themselves because they don't experience that. They don't experience the isolation of what it's like to be in a world dominated by men, dominated by the desires of men and the the desire for men Mm -hmm. when you are none of, when you face none of those things. And when your own desires are always seen as secondary, if not tertiary, to men's. And it's like... Being treated that way, both in the world and interpersonally, is really exhausting. And also just having an intimate relationship with someone, like a close friendship, with someone who also just doesn't understand your perspective. Or doesn't even want to. Yeah. Is difficult. And I think, like, that's... Even with our, like, straight friends or with our friends mm-hmm. who are in, like, straight relationships and stuff, or, like, our male friends and whatnot, like, not to hash a good ally <laughs> then, but, like, mm-hmm. what makes those relationships... What, like makes those relationships strong and also mm-hmm. what is the strength of those relationships is predicated on the fact that they under I think it's because they understand that our identities fundamental to it is the way that we don't really engage with men in that way mm-hmm. and they respect it mm-hmm. and they don't treat it as a problem or an aberration yeah. or as like something they understand that I'm a lesbian like and that's so important like they get and, and mm-hmm. they get the implications of that because mm-hmm. Like, and on the same, in the same way, because they understand that they can understand that the way we approach relationships, relationships are the same, right? Mm -hmm. Like relationships with, between people and intimate and sexual relationships are oftentimes like 
guys, like, we're all people at the end of the day. Not to be, we're all human, whatever. But, like, you know, there's that. Mm. But they also can acknowledge that there are fundamental differences. Yeah. And I think, like, that is what... And usually those people are, like, attuned to that attuned to that because they've been in community with us for forever. Like, they have like, lesbian siblings, or mm-hmm. they, ha- like, they've been gay and tr- and or trans since a young age yeah. with us, like, they, even if they're not a lesbian, like, they, they get it on some level. They, uh, once you understand that isolation or are sympathetic to that isolation, I, I think... Are willing to admit that that isolation exists. Mm-hmm. And understand that that is going to sort of be a dividing, not a dividing factor, but something you kind of have to consider in the mm-hmm. way that you acknowledge your relationships, your relationships adjacent to theirs. It's like... That that's something that I think a lot of people don't really do, but not that I would be familiar with it because like the people that I, that I am, I am in community with and people who I'm friends with and close with and who are in my life know these things about me. And that's not even a conversation that needs to be brought up. Right. But Mm. I don't think a lot of other people really do that, really do that self work or even are ever in the position to think about that because they're never around people who are going to say this shit to them which is the same thing with with what bell hooks is saying Mm -hmm. about men right like men are never really in that position where they're both emotionally like feel capable to be emotionally vulnerable enough to address the root of the issue or even think of something as an issue Mm -hmm. because they don't even acknowledge that it is in the first place because they're not even aware of it like like women who aren't lesbians aren't even aware of the isolation that lesbians face even if they're not homophobic even if they don't think like lesbians are gross or whatever they're totally fine with us they still don't think about the fact that like on a social level like we relate to the world in such different ways that it's like there's a difference here that is um that people you know i think like again self-awareness like just awareness in general is kind of really necessary in how you navigate these interpersonal relationships and how and understanding how politics informs what you prioritize in your life and you know and i think like i i do appreciate when people like come to me as a friend for particularly like a lesbian perspective or understanding mm-hmm. like their context or situation from a lesbian perspective like our friend being last night like texting mm-hmm. us being like uh i feel weird because in my in my relationship i don't know how like you know sexual stuff whatever yeah and we're just like you know from the lesbian perspective like well, whatever like it's yeah. not that you know what i mean like yeah. i think it's not even that it's a critical perspective every single time it's more of like once you respect us as having a unique perspective that we can offer and it's actually like an asset yeah to a dynamic, I think, like, you know, once you value us as lesbians for, for who we are, it's like, and you're already doing that if you listen to this podcast, I feel yeah. like you're if not If you listen to over 2,000 minutes of us, yeah, you can say that you listen to lesbian voices. <laughs> for sure. That's going to be on the next year's Spotify rap. There's going to be a slide. It's like, like, what level of lesbian ally are you based on how many minutes of the Lavender Menace you've listened to? And it's like, zero minutes, misogynist. Like... <laughs> 150, you know, name a woman. For a dollar, name a woman. But then, like, once again, like, 2,000, 3,000. It's like, you can't say dyke. Like, it doesn't matter. I'm cracking the fuck up. Please. No, but I definitely think that with bell hooks, I guess we'll be, like, at least my last point on this, is that saying that men will be here, or, like, there is always going to be a relationship to men, 
forces women who otherwise would not talk to men about what the problem is mm-hmm. to do it. Mm-hmm. You cannot mm-hmm. wait for men to disappear for the ills of patriarchy mm-hmm. to disappear because mm-hmm. they're never going to disappear. Exactly, you can't unless you do the like. Even under abolition, mm-hmm. men aren't going to disappear unless you exactly. do the work of abolishing gender. Like, come on. Exactly. Until you actually, as a woman, hashtag as a woman. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but as a community, not even being like, oh, as a woman, be vulnerable and like address the violence of a man to a violent like be smart and safe about it but like politically it's like it's important to recognize that men are always going to be here because then that's actually now the call to action is to address men and address their will to change and address their willingness or their ability to explicitly talk about the ills of patriarchy and how they're benefiting from violence and like the quote says and also the one that you pulled up of like the misplaced rage you have to be able to say you are your violence is misplaced rage yeah and like knowing that men are always going to be here Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. initiates that Mm -hmm. conversation yeah which i think is what bell hooks is getting at yeah yeah yeah. and it's also why that's not diametrically opposed to decentering men because right now centering men is allowing them to release this rage without consequence and without being addressed like i saw a grown man through a fit at the tsa for having to take off his like shoes and belt and being asked like three times do you have anything in his pocket because every time he had he something throw in- a fit dude and he'd be like do I have to-? like literally like late six late 50s early 60s at least throwing a fit about going through tsa and no one is allowed to say anything <laughs> No one is allowed to say, you are literally acting like a three-year-old right now. <laughs> In the way that, like, black women or, like, black trans women will literally face violence, but their retaliation or addressing that violence is seen as too it's much. It's like no one could act like this and get away with it the mm-hmm. way that certain people can, but mm-hmm. the people who can get away with it never think about it. Yeah. Don't even see it as throwing a fit. And that's, like one that's like the key issue in all of this right Mm -hmm. it's like that lack of awareness but not to be like hashtag raise awareness awareness is key but you know sometimes in this way in In the hashtag marxist lesbian (laughs) way self-awareness is key yeah okay do you want to look at our another email from a listener yeah okay so the same person submitted another email and they said we have another email from the same listener and the attach i'm gonna read the attachment first the attachment is an instagram post tiktok oh it's a screenshot of an instagram post of a tiktok liked by SZA, which is so fucking funny that says all other lgbt groups have their own slur but bisexuals nothing anyway i feel like it's a copy pasta like i swear to god like people just say that well i it, it's literally yeah. it's monthly discourse someone's yeah. someone's got a clock in and say it every month <laughs> anyway so this person said my hot take is that i am a former bisexual now pansexual because i am also quote unquote biphobic i feel like there are so many weird bisexuals on the internet and just generally in our community the type that start these oppression olympics discourses like the tiktok below that i don't want to be associated with and that's okay my other hot take is that by pansexuality and bisexual bisexuality are quite different people who say they are not don't actually understand what each label means 
I've ultimately felt more comfortable ever since I started identifying as pansexual, even though I have to explain it to people every time they ask, and it does make me wish I could just say bisexual. Anyway, sorry for the long email, but I would love to hear your thoughts. I'm a huge fan of the pod. I think I found you guys because I kept seeing snippets of your interactions on my For You page, and then I heard you mention the gay the Archers podcast, which I love. I'm a gay there first, human second. <laughs> and then I listened to a random episode and fell in love. I also I knew who Sunny was from their first biphobia cancellation, and I was not on their side at the time it happened. But ever since listening to the pod, I have seen the light, don't worry. <laughs> By the way, I saw this on Twitter and ran to email it to you because I thought it was hilarious, though I'm not sure if it is real or not. Love you. <laughs> Thanks, Bay. That's, uh, so that's, so that's so cute. Yeah. When we got this email, we were sort of talking about how, like, mm -hmm. I think the difference between pansexual, pansexual and bisexual as labels, for us, we sort of use these labels interchangeably. We just yeah. say bisexual and also refer to, like, bisexual meaning someone who fucks anyone. Yeah. Regardless of gender. Yeah. Right? Bisexual in the... LGBT, like it's yeah. the B. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. it's like encompassing of anyone who fucks anyone. Essentially, right? Like, mm -hmm. and there are other words, like you could use any word to describe it, including pansexual. Yeah. Pansexual and bisexual are probably the, the most used words for it. Yeah. But pansexual is definitely a much newer word and thus has less associations with it mm -hmm. and l less discourse surrounding it in yeah. some ways and in other ways it's less like... hit dogs holler right <laughs> for our purposes yes yes because when you call when you're like talking about bisexuals in general mm -hmm. like when we say it when we say bisexual we don't mean just people who identify as bisexual mm -hmm. necessarily we just mean anyone who is bisexual like in their <laughs> actions like someone you know what i mean that's like someone who lit who lives a bisexual life like is like experiences like attraction a... to people regardless of gender yeah or experiences attraction to people of any gender like mm -hmm. regardless of the definition that or semantics because like, a lot of this mm -hmm. is semantics right yeah and um and because of that, like, that's sort of, like, our thought on that. But I totally understand the desire to disassociate yourself from words that the internet have taken and ran with in a terrible Heavy. way. Because it's true. Like, uh, the lexicon on a cultural level changes at a rapid pace due to the nature of the internet and, like, how communication works currently, which is mm -hmm. what makes a movie like Bodies, Bodies, Bodies so relevant and important to us. Yes. Because... It, like it really tackles that head first because like once words start not meaning things so quickly so quickly you get yes. it gets run into the ground and it starts spurs more and more discourse that becomes more and more unrelated to whatever given topic at hand we've seen this this has happened to us multiple times we've seen this happen like this this All happens every time. single day a million times a day on the internet especially within the lgbt internet world right yes so because of that, it's like, I get it, right? There are fair personal reasons to want to disassociate yourself from any given word or label or want to claim specific words or labels. And like, I think the reason to be like, I'm pansexual because I want to create dis distance between me <laughs> and internet bisexuals, <laughs> even though your personal sexuality hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. If the main way that you are interacting with other gay people is on the internet that is an important distinction mm -hmm. to make mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know what i mean mm -hmm. but i was like even though that might not that might not significantly change your real life relations going from identifying as bisexual mm -hmm, to pansexual mm -hmm. because fucked anyone or had relations with anyone before <laughs> yeah. same thing now uh -huh. but i think like like you said because words are constantly changing meaning to be mm -hmm. like Actually, let me get out of this lane. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In terms, let of me shift lanes yeah. on the same highway or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When like, this is the community because it's like, 
this is an online problem mm -hmm. that wouldn't require a switch if it was also a real life problem. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Even though it doesn't change anything in the distinction of like lesbian or non-lesbian. It's like, it doesn't matter if you're bi or pan, mm -hmm. you're still not a lesbian. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. And to me, like, for example, not being trans mm -hmm. or being cis or not, or like not being trans or being trans mm -hmm. versus being cis or not being cis. Yeah. I think are different things. Not being yeah. a woman and being a woman, two different things. Mm -hmm. N being a man and not being a man, different things. And all of these things are like, they're overlapping in such strange yeah. ways, but that like is necessary to specify in the language. Like you kind of have to say what you mean. Mm -hmm. Like not trans, not cis <laughs> is something that now exists. Yeah. Yeah. That previously didn't, mm -hmm. but now, depending on how far you get into the community, mm -hmm. is an important distinction, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think. Or to mm -hmm. at least be aware of that language so that when someone asks or when you enter those conversations, you know what the fuck you're saying. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And can understand their perspective. Mm -hmm. And also, like, once you've engaged with enough people coming from a certain perspective, then you can develop an opinion on it. Yeah. Which is what we have essentially done over the years. Yeah. And, like to a fair amount of backlash because the, the people who don't to like it... a fair it, amount of backlash is a concern... That, yeah. That's your conservatism. Literally. <laughs> that's my conservatism jumping out. Like, because the people who are responding are the same mm -hmm. people that we are like, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's like that's the point, is it not? But the thing is, is that, like, we, we've seen what we need to see. It's like, why, we wouldn't be in this position yeah. if we hadn't seen what we saw. And that's the thing, is... But... The reason why we can be lesbians and look at the bisexual plus community and be like, mm, there's some issues here mm -hmm. is because one, we've lived that life mm -hmm. significantly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And two, we like come in earnestly on the perspectives that people mm -hmm. share mm -hmm. as like bisexual people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we're like, mm, that's not reflective. But when people, when non-lesbians come at lesbians, it comes from a place of not hearing us, not understanding us, mm -hmm. not... And not really wanting to. Not wanting to. And that is what makes it lesbophobic mm -hmm. in a way that the comments that we've made on the pod individually, whatever... Regardless of what, how flippant or, like, sarcastic or funny yes. we're trying to be, like, it's still it's not coming still not from an actual place of, like oh, I hate this group because I hate them. The way that people yeah. seem to do for lesbians online, like, all yeah. the time. Um, Without consequence. Yeah. W based off of the generalizations, like, oh, le all lesbians are transphobic, all mm -hmm. lesbians are this, all lesbians are that, I don't like this one lesbian, thus mm -hmm. every lesbian. And it's like, yeah, fine. You know, I can't even do anything about that, to be honest. I'm not going to be the magical lesbian that unpacks your lesbophobia. <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm just not going to be that person. So if you yeah. already think that all lesbians are mean, bitch, I'm going to be a mean lesbian. I'm going to take it. I'm going to seize an opportunity if you give right. it to me. Right, But also I think the thing about, like, bisexuals not having a slur. Well, it's like, if you're being caught doing gay things because you live a gay life, you're probably going to face the brunt of the, like, like do you of think the given slurs. that when the gay bars got busted down and the yeah. cops came in, guns a-blazing, yeah. beating people, opening the door, see someone sucking dick in the bathroom, was like, Literally. are you bisexual or homosexual? Girl, no. They're gonna drag your ass to jail regardless. Like, you know what I mean? Fucking, like, like, when homosexuality was, like, illegal in, like, England and the UK, but specifically London, and, like, cops are going undercover in the bathroom trying to get guys to, like, suck their dicks mm -hmm. to arrest them for being gay... Do you think that they're like, 
are you are you a fairy you or not it, yeah <laughs> are you a fairy it's, with your full chest or is it yeah. like a part-time thing for you <laughs> like i don't really think these distinctions are being made and same for like when lesbians are getting fucking like stomped in the street which is also like i think because like, wait before i hate crime you are you actually two bisexuals just in a gay relationship <laughs> and see this is the thing okay I was looking at some 90s lesbian texts, and mm-hmm. also people were up in my replies, as always, always in my fucking business, right? Um, but people were like, you know, some bisexual, like, it's not, femme isn't even just a lesbian exclusive term, like, bisexuals have used it too, and it's like, but this is the thing. Yes, bisexuals have used yes. this previously, but you know fucking why? Because, because they, they were... were in with, the dyke yeah. bars. Yeah. They were they down were with the lesbian movement and scene. Yeah. Like... They so were it, seen as lesbians, which is why they were femmes. They were femmes because they were backing up with the butches and, and breaking bread with the dykes. Like, yeah. that's why most of y'all are not like that, which is why that's not vocabulary that should be within your lexicon of mm-hmm. identifiers anymore. Because we don't Period. live in a cultural context where that is true. Mm-hmm. No longer do you choose... It, it's kind of like a lot of this is, I think, parallel to this, like discourse about like racial passing there's discourse every fucking day about like what does it mean to be white what does it mean to be black what does it mean to look black look Mm -hmm. white look look this blah 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 blah. Mm -hmm. it's like this is the thing 50 years ago it didn't matter whether you looked one way or the other you you could get hate crimes on any given day Mm -hmm. if you were a white girl with long red hair but Mm -hmm. your granddaddy's black you know literally like that, but that's not the case that's anymore. That's not the case anymore, so why are you claiming that shit? Mm-hmm. Same thing, because 50 years ago, you could be a femme, but be like, I do still fuck guys, I guess. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not not attracted to them. Mm-hmm. But I'm still with a butch partner for 20 years. Like, that's fucking different, guys. Yeah. You cannot be using this language of passing and femme mm-hmm. and whatever mm-hmm. outside of the contexts without acknowledging the context that they're coming from, which is mm-hmm. why, like, when lesbians claim these terms of femme and butch, et cetera, et cetera, like, we, uh, we, we, we do the readings. We put the fucking hours in. Like, you... We, we mean it. We are... We, we're trying to exist within this lesbian continuum mm-hmm. of these identities because we know that they're historically relevant and we know that in a present day where within queer liberal assimilationist politics, it is itself an act of rebellion to really engage yourself within a particular role and identity in this way. It is particularly subversive to be in community with like butches when so many other people who are even LGBT themselves don't, don't. fuck with butches. Which is so sad. But it's like... Because who was who was in the streets? Like, who was at Stonewall, bitch? Like, the fuck? Like, literally. who was getting who beat? Who are your mothers? Like, literally. Like, who, it is not like, Ellen DeGeneres, I can tell you that. Like, who was the father of mm-hmm. trans history? Yeah. Leslie Feinberg. Like, guys, you know the, what I mean? The, the butch. butch. Like... <laughs> like, the, the butch. butch. Like, that's the thing, guys. Like, well, a lot of... But anyways, this is our whole... This is our history propaganda moment. No, it like, is. This, for this real. is our hashtag real fem moment. <laughs> this is our soap... Pull out the soapbox. <laughs> We're standing on fems. it. Listen. No, because it's like... This is also our words mean things. Propaganda. Mm-hmm. In that, fem means things. It has a history. And that language, just because you are bisexual with a boyfriend and you identify as fem, that does not mean... That, that's that what you is, are. You can say, that's what you can say you whatever you are, but like if you're living, if you're not living that life, but that's then also that doesn't mean that that is what that new word means. That mm-hmm, word is mm-hmm. not taking on a new life just yet. Mm-hmm. Because when I say that I'm a femme, 
I mean it in the in the historical lesbian continuum sense in that my identity in 2022 is rooted in the identity of the femme femmes the ones who are fucking it up with the butches both in the streets and in the streets <laughs> Serious. <laughs> That's why we have the podcast because we need to have a good mix of seriousness and unseriousness. Like we have to, we have to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm a femme. In conclusion. In conclusion, I'm a femme in the historic sense, in the lesbian continuum sense. When we say that this is lesbian specific language, that is not to say that there have not been bisexuals who use this language, or who weren't there during the conception of it, it is to say that the bisexuals of today are not the same as the bisexuals who are fucking with lesbians of yesterday. Because y'all don't even fuck with lesbians. Exactly. And that, isn't that the key issue here? How can like, you use lesbian terms and you don't even like us? That Anyways, part. but speaking of lesbians um, and, and butches, we gotta talk about, we gotta talk about Petite Maman. Petite Maman. That shit. Directed by Celine Siama. Who is mother. Mother. M- mother, 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 but like she's like mother in like an offline way. Like we've all which of, is so important. we have a lot of online mothers, so but she's an offline mother, like one hundred percent. Like she's just a French woman doing her thing. She's literally just an she's just an artist. She just drops her shit, and that's it. She has never seen an iPhone. <laughs> no, and that's so important. Like that's literally so important. Yeah, she doesn't know what the internet is, Marshall. Like, and it's necessary. Literally. It's necessary for her movies to be as good as they are. Exactly. Thank God. <sighs> she sees like the internet and iPhones as like anthropological tools, not like as something that she engages with <laughs> like, uh, as an online person. Lord. But yeah, no. Pretty Maman was. Okay, I have beautiful. a question for you that I've been sitting on okay, okay, for a while. Question. Yeah, we haven't talked about this at all. We just watched it and then yeah. we booked it. Like, yeah. Do you would you consider Petite Maman like almost sci-fi esque, or do you think mm. it's more metaphorical? I definitely think it's speculative. It's it's mm-hmm. it's a speculative movie because we don't see. It's not concrete. Like we don't see like magic. We mm-hmm. don't see mm-hmm, mm-hmm. anything that doesn't that wouldn't happen in real life. Mm-hmm. It's the overarching framework of the story mm-hmm. that is time warpy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? It kind like, of... there's a sense of time travel, especially at the end. Especially at the end. With the music. Mm-hmm. Yes. But, but but we don't actually see we are no longer in a universe that we exist in. Because it 100%. could be two girls. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and there's this... Like, but that's why I think it's so you know, the speculative element is so beautiful because it mm-hmm. plays with that magic of childhood. Yes. And the lack of time that exists for people in our lives and our relationships that is, like, stunning and unclear, right? Like, the un- the lack of clarity in it is what... Mm-hmm. And the, the way that it's not explained is, like, actually, like, what is m- so relevant to the storytelling because if we understood how that shit worked, it would be like, okay, well, now... Yeah. That it, it, it negates the point. Believe in like the magic of childhood, simply. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, for sure. And like the, the movie, really, to me, it makes me think of Tilly, actually, which I recommended mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. on the pod. And we were talking about literally on the way, like our image of life for real, because we were literally <laughs> yeah. talking about it on the way to go yeah. see it, like 
uh, we were talking about Tully and Tully. 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 Yeah, I think. I think it's called Tully. T u l l y. T u l l y. Yeah, that movie is feels very similar, but also this movie feels very literary. This is how I've definitely I would read this story exactly. It's very magical realism esque that doesn't explain itself. Mm-hmm. You know how like you know how like in Toni Morrison's books like things just happen. Yeah, and it's like okay, yeah. the the house is the ghost is the baby is the <laughs> you know what I mean. But it's like nothing is really explained, but it's just the no, truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. It's yeah. kind of like that. Yeah, it's very that bad. it's that's what it is. And there's and that undercurrent of like that psychosexual like familial like mm-hmm. intergenerational thing is also present there that really gives it that other literary undertone mm-hmm. because it's the intimacy between these two girls is like there is a love there and there is that like childhood almost first love type of feeling yeah but then the truth is is that that's her mother as as at her, her at her, her age. age yeah and it's like I think like a cheap Freudian reading of this would be like yeah. oh so lesbians want to fuck their moms but it's like it's like it's... these are two eight year old girls meeting each other and they're they're being placed in the same time and place but they're mm. r- removed from their timelines in a way and it's not cut and dry in the way that like Russian Doll is with the timelines which yeah. is even with you know we're, if we're talking about motherhood and, and visiting the younger self yeah. of your mother like in Russian Doll season two like that's made very clear how that's done or even in like did you watch Turning Red? No. In Turning Red, there's a scene where, like, she meets her mother mm-hmm. at a similar age in the forest. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, only one section of, like, yeah, the yeah, entire yeah, movie. Yeah, 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 Whereas, like, this is, like, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But this still mm-hmm. did it better. Yes, for And, like, that's the thing, because initially, you know, sort of, mm-hmm. like, 20, 20, 30 minutes in, I turned to you and I was like, is that her mother? And you yeah. were, like, metaphorically? Yeah. yeah, I was like, I didn't know, I was like, are you, are you asking literally or... Metaphor. Yeah, or is the figure of her her mother? Because you were initially reading it as yes, the 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 figure that little girl, the figure yeah. of her is representative of her mother. Yes. But to me, I had sort of because you know I'm pretty familiar with speculative fiction as a genre and stuff. You yeah. Which is why by by the time by the time they had interacted for a little bit, I was yeah. like, that's her mom at her yeah. age, like literally her mom. And which I but I was like I was afraid that I wasn't reading it right. No. At, and then uh, yeah. it was like no 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 it's it is simultaneously metaphorical and literal, and that was what that's when I was like okay I I I, I kind of get it now. I think this movie is the perfect overlap of our two individual yes. literary backgrounds. Yes. Because to me it's so French, French. romanticism. <laughs> yeah, to me it's so French romanticism, and kind of like slice of life almost mm-hmm. like like mm-hmm. Beauty and the Ordinary yes. kind of things. And to me this is very like mother daughter relationships and complicated family dynamics and, and internal lives within a a vague but beautiful sort of speculative yeah. dreamy landscape. Yeah. And I think also just like the lack of a soundtrack so important was crazy. Yeah. Like, because when the needle drop does happen like 75% into the movie mm-hmm. To me, I was so moved. I almost started sobbing. I think, like, this is the thing. Movies have become so good at music, at sound. Like, because Bodies, 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 those songs... Oh, so God. Important. Shiva Baby, the string plucking. Even, obviously, the music in, like, Portrait of a Lady. Amazing, right? Yes. Like, but all of the examples that I'm using, I'm like, it's like, wow, people are, you know, really on top of their shit. Like, whoa, mm-hmm. what a minute. Like, because, yeah, no, I, I, that was something I immediately noticed was, like, 
this is such a quiet movie, literally, like literally very quiet. Everything that the characters say to each other, very stilted and mm-hmm. short. And that's something that Siyama does consistently. No one says more than anything they have to say. Mm-hmm. And it is a type of dialogue that is like, this is film dialogue, right? It's and not the film speaks for itself in so many ways. Trying to replicate... It's not... It's a film that's not trying to replicate life in its portrayal and its conception because obviously, like, but it's not, it's not trying to replicate life on a literal level, thus allowing it to replicate life in a deeper, in a deeper way that is more meaningful because I, by the time we were getting to the end of the movie, I, I was like, wow, this is so real because when I was at that age, Mm -hmm. like, I think that because of how time and my perspective worked for me as Mm -hmm. a kid, this is how I would experience the world. And this is how I would interact with the world. We are put into the mind of this eight-year-old in such a sweet and beautiful way Mm -hmm. that was, was very moving and touching and like so genuine, but it touched on like this recess of like imagination that I like forgot that I had. Yeah. Yeah. Almost because I I was like, I forgot what it was like to live in this in a dream world of your own making in a very literal way. Like we see her construct a little hut. Yeah. With her own hands. Like they build a home together. Yeah. Which like sounds dramatic. But, like, mm-hmm. it's also not. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's so sweet. The thing that's replaying in my mind right now is after when they first meet and they run in from the rain and mm-hmm. they're taking off their jacket. Oh, so cute. And they're drying their, their hair. hair. Yeah. And the camera, it's, like, one shot. And it's all, it's basically all silent. All you hear is, like, them moving. And the camera keeps going back from Nellie and Marion. Their interactions of just, like, them making the hot cocoa, mm-hmm. them making the crepes. Mm-hmm. Like one thing that I re- that I noted when we were watching the movie that I really appreciate is the camera is at their level. Yeah, you were we saying that are to seeing, me. Yeah, they're framed in the same way that an adult would be, fr- like as a as a full human being is yeah. what I mean. The camera is never above them, looking down at them from an adult perspective. We are immersed in their yeah, world. Yeah, we're at their level to see mm-hmm. them, and the other adults are sitting. Mm-hmm. Or they lower themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They like they bring themselves down into their view, which to me, as like, I'm an adult, right? Like I mm-hmm. I'm closer to the adults of the parents of the movie than I am of the eight year old mm-hmm. at this point. But as an audience member, it imbued me with the sense of that's an adult mm-hmm. coming into this world, mm-hmm. not a child in an adult movie mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. a child performing adulthood. For me to understand, mm-hmm. like their mannerisms felt so natural mm-hmm. that yeah. what, what do you think was so important in the scenes where we see them doing scenes with each other yeah. when they like yeah. are dressing up and the context of is she your mom? Is she <laughs> in this like speculative fiction kind of ways? Them performing adulthood in this really explicit yes way, right like in the characters of like the coca-cola and the countess and yeah and the countess's son and yeah and the countess's son and her husband waking up dead next yeah, to yeah, her yeah yeah this yeah and this kind of you know fictitious play acting it was the yeah play, like it was the play acting that really got to yeah. me because i was like wow yeah when i was a kid i really did that like i really 
was like, okay, now you pretend to be this and mm-hmm. I'm going to pretend to be this. And then mm-hmm. we would just do that for hours. Yes. And then that was just what we entertained ourselves with. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, that, it, that is crazy. I wonder, because I looked up the thing and Celine Siam is the only credited writer mm-hmm. on the movie. And I wonder if she wrote those scenes or if she worked on those scenes with the two kid actors. Mm, and yeah. was like, what scene would you, because it felt so real, mm-hmm. almost in a way that How is I a, can't. an adult perspective yeah. really getting in on this? I'm like, or because obviously she would have known what she wanted the movie to be, mm-hmm. but being like, what's a scene that you would play with your friends? And then kind mm-hmm. of like make something out of that, mm-hmm. just because it felt so real. But for those scenes to be contrasted with dramatic scenes where they're just too girls you know when they're not acting mm-hmm. I thought was like really interesting and also kind of blurred that lines of like fiction and yeah and all that stuff and also like the roles they play the way that they the way that they were little mini adults mm-hmm. right when she takes her into the bathroom and they take yeah. off she's like take off your take off your shirt and you do you know. want something to drink? Do you want something to drink? That was so fucking cute. It was so... And, and she goes, yes. And she, <laughs> and she, like, does this, like, little, like, settling stance. <laughs> and it's also the scene that I thought was, like, oh, gee, this is, like, mini adult moment is when she's, like, oh, how long are you here? Yeah. Like, how are you long... How long are you staying here for? Yeah. How long are you in town? Yeah. Yeah. And I was, like, that is such, like, a when Harry meets Sally ass like yeah and that's the thing it's like kids play at adult all the time and we see it in the movie they literally play as adults in in their play acting but like just in the way that they live like they're like they talk they say things because that's what they've they've heard their parents exactly and then they do the same thing like but also the way that they treat each other is so so indicative of the way they've been treated of course right Mm -hmm. and so the scenes sort of it's like back-to-back parallels in which she like Nellie goes into the house they're in the bathroom she takes off her sweater and she dries her hair and then when she goes back to her dad she goes back to her the old house and her dad is there and her dad is like you have your sweater on inside out mm-hmm. and he like takes it off over her head yeah and like himself he is in the role of the now that he's taking on the role of the adult she is a little kid yeah whereas in the other scene where there's no adults she's she's the little adult yeah and that's like so true because as a kid because as a kid when no one when no adults are around you're, you're the, the you're adult. a little adult yeah you're the adult but then when the parents come back in it's oh your shirt's on backwards babe like like let's turn that around yeah like and i was like oh that is just so sweet like that is Mm -hmm. just so beautiful and all their little all their little clothes and they're like so adorable their little sweaters and their corduroys these kids are so adorable and um celine siama did the costuming yeah she's credited for the Uh costuming which i think really helps because The level of character information we get just from the clothes that these people are wearing mm-hmm. is, like, really impactful in a way that, yeah, of course the director and writer would have. A would be like, yeah, I'm doing the that. costume. Yeah, 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 for <laughs> Anything, sure. Uh, one thing that I think is noticeable... Well, okay, so the only thing that by Celine Siama that I haven't seen is Tomboy. And you haven't seen Tomboy and Girlhood, which Girlhood doesn't really inform this as much. But the point I wanted to make is Celine Siama always finds a way to bring lesbian gender into her work yeah girlhood is kind of the exception she kind of does towards the end but not as much as like obviously portrait of lady on fire lesbian Mm -hmm. movie Mm -hmm. tomboy lesbian and i think the water lilies water lilies Mm -hmm. gay and also has to do with like lesbianism Mm -hmm. 
in Petite Maman because it's almost the, like, it's almost the girlhood continuum Mm -hmm. of, like, her mom. Like, that's what a little girl looks like in her mom's generation versus what Nellie is allowed to be and look like now. Mm -hmm. But then also these two things next to each other having its own meaning because of who Celine Siama is as mm-hmm. a director, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think allows her to explore multiple different girlhood relationships mm-hmm. at once. Mm-hmm. Both, mm-hmm. like, tomboy femme, yes. like, little girls kind of way, and obviously the mother-daughter relationship. Yes. Yeah, she's doing so much with mm-hmm. just these two little girl actors and characters, mm-hmm. which is, like, wow, genius. So genius. In a really appropriate way as yes. well. They're not over matured and like a mm-hmm. lolita in this like, like anthropomorphized yeah. almost like weird imposition of an adult like mind onto children like yeah. these are kids doing kid things yeah they speak to each other as kids they interact with their parents as kids and the adults interact with them as normal right right <laughs> like, as parents and kids or you mm-hmm, know mm-hmm. like when you bring a friend over and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff and but it's like the love and int- intimacy that is portrayed is such that that it feels it's it, it's so warm it's so inviting mm-hmm. and it's like the the leaves falling and the running in the rain and like sweaters all mm-hmm. of this brings together and then there towards the end when there's like all these moments of childish playfulness spitting yes. the soup back in being like oh it's gross then like mm-hmm. mess being like okay let's make let's make the pancakes and they're like messing around and yeah and i because at first i was like you know i hang around eight years old sometimes mm-hmm. they're not this stoic like they're not <laughs> this calm yeah they get energetic yeah they they they're bouncy yeah um so then when we got to see those s- scenes where they were bouncy and they mm-hmm. were like, you know, just having a good time. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's that's sweet. And that feels like, you know, but of course, you know, all their emotions and stuff and like what all of this, I think the stoicism and the way that they were like carrying themselves initially at the beginning of the movie, of course, is because like her grandma died initially. And so she's like, like you know, when a child is processing mm-hmm. something really big like that, mm-hmm. you can see it in the way that she is kind of reserved and withholding and I think like that's really appropriate for how kids act when they experience big things like mm-hmm. you don't have the language or capacity to really express that in in a big way and also it's not even something that would re- necessarily be helpful to you even if you could because mm-hmm. you're just a little kid dealing with like really big emotions and that versus the way that she's able to process that happening through this relationship and then also this little girl the other little girl her mother at a young age having this impending like surgery that mm-hmm. she's like I'm nervous for and I have to go to is also there's a somberness to it to their whole dynamic initially that by the time that it's like okay I'm gonna leave and also when I leave you are going to go to your surgery mm-hmm that they are able to have a level of like playfulness in the kitchen and and they're making their crepes but then they are also able to be serious and be like so how old was i when my mom died yeah right yeah and it's like whoa like that's crazy coming out of like an eight-year-old mouth to another eight-year-old when one of them is the mother of the other you're like whoa like there's a lot going on here but it never feel i don't think it ever feels like it's trying to get you Mm -mm. it's not like haha 
we got you, this is the premise of the movie, the sixth yeah. sense, with, yeah. right? It, it's natural, and it feels part of the scene and the dynamic the whole time. You're experiencing it. It's just like, now we get it. Now it's it's the time. The scene that tripped me out was when the eight-year-old mom mm-hmm. sees her husband, but it's, it's the dad the of dad. her friend. Yes. That dynamic of, like, him not knowing mm-hmm. that he's looking at his, his like, future wife. wife. Yeah. Because it's like, that would be weird. Yeah. How fucking weird would it be if a grown man was like, you're my wife? No. <laughs> yeah. And it's very important that that doesn't happen in the movie. Yeah. It's very important yeah. that that Because he just treats her like, you know, the eight-year-old friend of an eight-year-old. Exactly. Because why else would he, why would he not do exactly. that? Exactly. And the thing is that he does in a respectful, normal way. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, that is also the scene when Nelly is asking, like, oh, can we stay one more night? Mm-hmm. And he says, another time. And... She's like, and Marianne goes and is like, go tell him Mm -hmm. there's not going to be another time. And then, of course, you know, he concedes. But I just thought was so interesting, like the way that the worlds overlap. And I also think the interaction with Marianne's mom. Yeah. And who is the who is the grandma of Nellie and the way that Marianne's mom like ties Nellie's tie. Yes. And... The chance to say goodbye because in the beginning of the movie... She wasn't able to. Yeah. Like, that... That got me. Yeah, it was really poignant. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I... You read it five stars. I knocked it back down to 4.5. Okay. It was in the was in the That was in the height of, like, wow. In the height of, wow. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I need to start taking my five stars seriously (laughs) because I'm already up to 47. It's like, I can't be... I can't be slutting out my five stars like this. Like, literally, at least once a month, I go through and I'm like, are these really five stars? Like, I really need to lower these numbers. Because it's it's so déclassé. It's so déclassé to have 47 five-star logs. At that point, I might as well not even be on the app if I'm going to be that fucking liberal. The only thing I'm liberal with is with my letterbox five stars, apparently. Like, goddamn, have some decorum. Like, do I not have standards? Anyways. That is so So funny. I went back and I rated it 4.5. But I think the other thing why it makes it... I saw that post. Of course I did. They stay on that app for real. Me going me going head to head with the with the overly online-ness of your musical theater cast is scary. That I that I got to to a competitive level in 72. <laughs> competitive yiki accuser. Um anyways, I rated it 4.5. I rated it four stars. Yeah. The reason why is because, like you were saying, it's Mm -hmm. you're in the French romanticism Mm -hmm. line, Mm -hmm. thread of, like, what this movie is about. Mm -hmm. And I'm really latching on to these relationships Mm -hmm. and the speculative element. But, and, like, the way that those play out and Mm -hmm. intermingle together. But to me... I don't think it takes it that far. Not that Mm. that it should have taken it any further. Yeah. It's just that from my personal taste, Mm -hmm. I'm the kind of person who loves a balls-to-the-walls, like, crazy-ass shit that is like, the fuck, what? Like, what's going on, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, that's the kind of thing that I really fuck with. Yeah. And I think that I appreciate the quietness of like films and books that don't really that don't take it that far and I think they're like necessary and I really enjoy them but they're just not they're oftentimes not the five stars for me yeah if if we look through 
the things that I've read speculative media wise and if, in terms of things that are similar if we're looking at themes of family relationships that integrate some element of like magic or surrealism into mm-hmm. it like typically that is stuff that I am like that is stuff that I am like this is really good and it's my taste for sure it's just not as good to me mm-hmm. as like you know this is the thing i think i need to change now that we're talking about ratings i think i need to change some of my ratings because i think that i i think i like bodies 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 more than any movie that i've watched this year mm-hmm. because i've thought about it so much more yeah. than any of the other movies this year it's more quotable than any yeah. of the other movies i've seen this year it's yeah. like it's so memorable i think i give like four and a half stars or something but yeah. i think like it was when I watched Everything Everywhere all at once, it was such a feat. It was so magnificent that mm-hmm. I was like, that's a five-star film. Yeah. And also at that point, when I watched it, no one was seeing it. And I was like, everyone get on, get on your It was also right like... We no, were promoting The, the it. campaign. It was... Like, campaign. it was like, We were... We on were principle? The, some of the first people, yes. some of the first media people on the apps, online, yes. to tell people to go watch that fucking movie. Let's make that clear. We can pull up the timestamps. That's what I'm saying. And the dates. Go on the sunny TikTok like playlist on our TikTok mm-hmm. because it's there. Let me tell you. Like we literally it hit the airwaves. We were there. We were viewing it. Immediately see it, review it, put it out campaign, five stars. Have to see it. Exactly, right? And for bodies bodies bodies, I was less I was more hesitant about it because I was like, well, there's this could be a flop, you know, who knows. Yeah. But then I but, saw it. I was like, guys, slay. An instant Bible. Like, instant that's Bible what it's an instant classic. Mm-hmm. And that's the type of stuff that I'm like, I, I love something bold mm-hmm. and wild. And I think that you're more of like a quiet yeah, sort of intimacy. That's why I love The yeah. Handmaiden first time. The first time I watch it and the sixth time I watch it, right? Yeah. And, and it, you were, you didn't really fuck with it the first time you watch it. And then it you, took me. It took you a little bit it to took get me there. A while. I get it. Now you I get, get it. it, right? And yeah. we, we, we recorded this journey. Yeah, we did. It has on been documented. The previous episode. It has and been I'm okay. I live up to it because I think I've also become, it's like, yeah, I'm just a quiet movie bitch. I'm just, mm-hmm. uh, oh, you're eating cereal in a quiet kitchen? Five stars. Because <laughs> I think like you Trees wrestling and, and the sound of a sweater against a t-shirt? Nothing else? And three words of dialogue? Five stars. Five stars. Five stars. Five stars. Like... The review changed my life. Changed my life. Best movie I've ever seen. No, and it's just an eight-year-old's cheek for 70 minutes. And that's it. Oh, that's the other thing. I feel like this movie feels longer than it is. Yeah, it's only 73 minutes. Which is crazy, because to me, I was like, no, I need to pee. a little bit. Like, I need to pee. I, that's what I was thinking but for the then, last 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, but but it does it does land the ship nicely, though. Yeah. I think. Yeah. No, it, it it is tightly done. Mm-hmm. Like it's well, mm-hmm. that's that's a really good movie for how short it is, and it's actually really well, good because it's so short. And the, but that's another thing about Celine Siama movies. She's in the editor's room. <laughs> a Celine Siama movie heavy. is gonna be edited. <laughs> that shit is gonna be like yes, she will find a way to put a five minute scene in a sixty minute movie, and it be well paced because all the other scenes like. It's gonna be economical. If she wants one take, she's gonna put one long take. Like, she is not fucking around with the way she edits these movies. Which also adds to the artistry, and again, her ability as a director, as a writer, as, like, doing costumes, her presence clearly in the editing room. 
a Celine Siama movie is a Celine Siama movie every time. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, because I'm not a film girl, like, I, when people are like, post a director and I'll say my favorite movie from them, I'm like, girl, I'm. But even then, the number one director I've only seen for movies of. Exactly. I haven't seen, but also, my favorite directors don't make that many movies. Right. Like, Angela Robinson is one of my favorite movies. She's only made two. Mm-hmm. Whereas, if you're a yeah. fucking Quentin Tarantino fan. Yeah. Or, like, whoever the fuck. Like, maybe, um, who directed The Favorite? Yagros? Yagros Lanthanimos. Yeah. He also made The Lobster and... The Lobster, and then I've seen one of his short films. Yeah. Like, my number one director is Agnes Varda, and I've seen four of her films. Then, like, I've seen, like, three Wes Anderson films or something like that. Like, if you look at my stats, if you have pro on Letterboxd, and you look at my stats, it's, like, I've logged, like, 370 movies, and I've seen, like, 350 different directors. Like, most of my, most of the movies that I watch are one-offs of directors. Yeah. Like, one of my favorite movies, obviously, is Birds of Prey. Mm-hmm. And the things that she's previously directed are a bunch of short films and then one movie called Dead Pigs. Or, like, Emma Seligman. Yeah. One of my favorite directors. But she made Shiva, Shiva Baby. Is and then the, the short film and then the feature length. Yeah. Exactly. And, like, she's worked on, like, a couple other short films that I've seen of hers. Right. Like... And, like, like Alice Wu. She has two movies. The Half yeah. of It and Saving Face. Mm-hmm. Love both movies. But that I can't be, like, I have a favorite... My favorite director. It's, like, what are you talking yeah. about? You know what I mean? Like, and that's the thing. It's so hard to be a consumer of media made by women in an industry that is so dominated by men. It's so hard to... It's, like, it's so <laughs> difficult. It literally is. It's so hard. And, like, my... I have a... Oh, this this, this has been a discourse that's been going on as well, and there are so few people from, like, actual working-class backgrounds yeah. who are in the arts, yeah. academia, anything... Yeah. ...that it's fucking crazy, I think, to, like, like to take and make space in the way that for example an up-and-coming auteur like male director it would be like why yeah why are you doing this yeah no one needs this <laughs> unless i guess you're the unless you're the daniels i guess yeah right but then the it's thing like is you have that, to but be really excellent is... to be the exception yeah but most people are not the fucking exception no and also, it's like, the Daniels made their shit with $5 in a dream. Yeah, you get to have the slay button as two men making a movie, because you d- I've edited on Final Cut Pro. I've seen the After Effects edits. Yeah. I know the hours you put yeah. in to be it, able it to pull something off like that. you can see that all of the people who are involved in making this movie, yeah. who are all, like, women and women of color, like, yeah. love this movie. Yes. Wanted to be a part of this project. Yes. And it's so clear. Like, this was a, a, a work of love and passion mm-hmm. for from everyone and that is something so worth commending mm-hmm. and um but yeah no it is such a major problem that first of all that there aren't that many female directors much less female directors that are like have enough movies even out there to yeah. be seen to be, be making posts about this yeah but also that currently there's fewer and fewer working class people in the arts mm-hmm. and like the art specifically because that those are that's not a public thing like it's the art is all about producing media that gets consumed like i think it's it's because even like phoebe waller bridge mm-hmm. like very intelligent amazing maker of things but she comes from money yeah obviously taylor swift comes from money yeah what sister comes from money hella money yes like 
Beyonce comes from money. Like, people are coming from money. Otessa Moshbeck, I think, grew up actually around Boston with, like, from a sort of a Mm -hmm. two-income suburban home. So, not money money, but, like, middle class, you know, whatever. So, but but there's a whole history of, like, music and, like, punk and, Mm -hmm. like, country and bluegrass and jazz, etc. That's all about, and hip-hop, of course, R&Bs, that's, like... That shit is all about the thing, the shit that came from the working class, mm-hmm. like culture and things that emerge from that. But, like, I don't know. It, it, when, we, when it comes to media, and the, what's Celine Siama's background at all? Do we know? Probably not. Because she just like arose like the birth of Venus, just out of the sea, fully formed and naked with a camera in her hand. Her, her palm out, but there's like just a camera, and she's just like this. And the next thing you know, a couple years later, we got a couple of movies. <laughs> Please. <laughs> like, yeah. Why do you think her first one is called Water Lilies? Like, she's just... Literally. She emerged. She emerged. Like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but anyways, but that's the thing. It's like, shouldn't we just be telling rich people or people who's who come from two-parent, like, two-parent, mm-hmm. two-income, suburban, middle-class homes, stop making art? <laughs> Should this be, really? like, like should we be telling the king princesses of the world, do not put your shit on streaming services? Yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. The answer is yes, I fear. We love Petit Maman. Yeah. You should watch it. It's on yes. Hulu. Yeah. And if it's you don't have Hulu, then borrow someone else's or watch it illegally. Mm-hmm. That's what she would want. <laughs> and, yes. um, Yeah. So, it was really good. Yeah. We would recommend it. And so, do you have a recommendation for me? I do. I have a movie recommendation for you. Mm-hmm. The movie that I'm recommending is A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, directed by Anna Lily Amirpour from 2019. And it's in... I forgot that it was so recent. Yeah. Like, I th- I feel like it's like a vintage movie in my mind. Because it, it has that sense. Okay. It, it, it feels like... A new wave film. Okay, yeah. And also that's aided because it's in black and white. I was gonna say, yeah. Is it, is it set in Iran or? Yeah. Okay. So it's an Iranian movie. Yeah. And it's basically this vampire girl. Okay, yes. I've definitely heard a lot about this. Yeah. I remember being on film Tumblr in 2019 or 2020 and this being... I'm sure it had a moment. Yes, yes, yes. Positive it had a moment. Yes. Um, and she basically just like lurks the streets. Mm-hmm. Um... But I think the film's politics in terms of sex work, especially, mm-hmm. is something that is explored in this. And, like, how when women do violence, it's not bad. Uh. <laughs> like, like um, the Lady Gaga clip. I don't believe in the glorification of murder. I do believe in the empowerment of women. <laughs> and that is essentially this film. If it's like murder bad, some of y'all should be murdered. Though. Right. So like now someone what? has to pick up the torch. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if it's like a twenty-year-old vampire, mm-hmm. well, I mean she's not twenty years old, but you know what I mean, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, who has like a dope room, disco ball in her room, music and mm-hmm. posters. It's mm-hmm. like okay, well, let her live. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I feel like I think I've recommended this on the podcast, but if they learn, they never learn by Lane Fargo, yeah. which is about. And English and yeah. sexual assaulters and stuff yeah. on our campus every year. Yeah, um, exactly. I think yeah. I think you have brought it up. So it's very that, and it also um, I think it kind of fits with this episode being on Petite Maman because it also is 
has that speculative fiction, but also it's so real. Because it's like, a vampire movie. Yeah. But it's, like, so much about, like, the reality of, like, womanhood and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And also just, like, the way, like, the dialogue is really real. Mm-hmm. Like, nothing else breaks the universe mm-hmm. rather than the fact that she's, like, dead-ass a vampire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even the way that that's revealed, it's, like... It could have been just any other act of violence, mm-hmm. in a way, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, like, uniquely focused on that aspect. Yeah, it's not, like, if you're, like, oh... I want a vampire film. Yeah. Or, like, mm-hmm. I like the lore of vampires. Yeah, yeah, Like, yeah. it's not that. Yeah. It's just, like, sometimes girls are cool. <laughs> imagine. Fucking imagine that. <laughs> so, yeah. And it's not French, so... Look Guys, at that. Wait a so minute. important. Hold on. Hold on. It's not French? <laughs> Can I hear that again? If you if you don't want to watch Petite Maman on the principle that it's a French film, <laughs> listen. I'm I'm not gonna say anything. I'm just gonna say okay. You can watch this movie. Yeah. Instead. Yeah. Yeah. Classic Sunny moment. Book recommendation. This is a comic book. It's a lesbian <gasps> comic book, graphic novel. That looks so cute. Called Thieves, by Lucy Bryan, and it was translated from the French. So. Real. I think she lives in. Well, she just says that she lives in France. Hmm. But anyway, um, it's this like short-haired girl, and then this girl with glasses. And the reason why it's called thieves is because mm. they keep on stealing things from people's parties. <laughs> but like they get together in each other's mm-hmm. classes, and it's really cute. It's kind of like Heartstopper if it was like yeah. French and for girls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Who, whose brand is that? Ding, ding, ding. Raise your hand. No, it's Raise very cute. Hand. The publisher sent it to me. Um, wow. Penguin Random House, I think. Yeah. It's an adorable little book, and it's it's a sweet time. I like, kind of just sat down and read it, and I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that's such a feel-good little graphic novel. And that can be so important. It can sometimes. be so, so important. So that's my recommendation. Slay. Okay, that's our episode for y'all today. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.